0: you're listening to the archaeology podcast network you're
1: listening to the archaeology show tas goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us welcome to the podcast
3: hello and welcome to the archaeology show episode 237
1: on today's show we tour the ancient history of the greek island of naxos including the portara the temple of demeter and the colossal abandoned koros let's
3: dig a little deeper into that, fine Naxian marble. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everyone. How's it going?
1: <laughs> it's going. It's We's, been a week. <laughs> it's
3: been a week for sure.
1: You could probably hear it in our voices, but yeah. we managed to both get sick this week. Yeah. Yay. You for
3: the second time in Greece.
1: I know. I don't understand what I did to deserve to get two colds in one trip. It's ridiculous.
3: I know. Well, because we had to delay our recording, if you're listening to this in real time, we're actually recording the day before, but it's cool because we've got this new Airbnb. It's our last week in Greece, and we're in Athens. And our first night in Athens, if you've been following along, we had a pretty decent view of the Parthenon, Uh, from our hotel room. Yeah. But it was
1: like leaning out the side of the balcony, you know, like you had to pull the chair off into the far corner to actually have the view.
3: Yeah. Well, this one, we're on the fifth floor, the top floor of a apartment building, I guess, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And the first floor is the living room kitchen where we're sitting now. And you can see the Parthenon from a corner of the deck there. Mm -hmm. Then you go up to the next floor where the bathroom is. And there's a deck out there and a table and chairs. And you can see the Parthenon really well from there. Mm -hmm. And then you take the spiral staircase up to the roof where it's just like unobstructed. Awesome. Yeah. Here's the Parthenon.
1: And weirdly enough, the Parthenon is almost best viewed at night because they light it up. And especially at like twilight, like it is right now, you've got this beautiful like midnight blue sky behind it. And then it's lit up and it's just really beautiful. It's we're very excited to have that as our view for the next week until we leave anyway. Right. So. Yeah,
3: they light it up just like the ancient Greeks did.
1: So, <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. like them. I mean, the Greeks were pretty good and all, but I don't think they had floodlights. <laughs> right,
3: right. Well, we're not going to talk too much about that because no. we can also see from all three of our decks the... Archaeology Museum, which is basically a couple streets over, but it's a massive black imposing building. So Mm -hmm. we're going to go tour that that. and we're going to see the Acropolis because the Parthenon is not the only thing on the Acropolis. Yeah. There's other stuff that
1: always confused me. We can talk about (laughs) it more. But the Acropolis is like the city center, basically, with all of their government buildings back in the day. And the Parthenon was just one of them. Government and religion and all of that.
3: I'll get this kind of wrong, but polis means city yeah and acro means kind of top or hill
1: oh right and they were yeah yeah. it's the
3: city hill it
1: was the hill yeah Yeah. it's
3: the stuff that's up there right the the first time i knew of an acropolis was actually and where i heard that term was i took a tour of the city of lindos on the island of rhodes back when i was in the navy in 1996 Mm -hmm. we did a med cruise and And that's they have an acropolis Acropolis. Yeah, Yeah. and i think it was a temple of athena or something like that that was there Thing at their Acropolis. At their top. Yeah. Yeah. The Parthenon is just one thing at this Acropolis, but it's like the big thing that you can see from everywhere.
1: For sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think we've made it pretty clear what we're doing here, but we've got a lot of episodes about Greece coming. Yeah. And it's because we're here and we're experiencing these things and we think it's really fun to share our experience like on the ground, going to visit these places and then also doing research about them so that we can have that background too. So we've got sort of a series of episodes coming that are a combination of research about these places and also our personal experiences visiting them. Yeah. So that's what we're going to start with here with this episode.
3: Yeah. And this one was actually intended to be the Island of Naxos and the things we saw there and Crete where we just came from today yeah. for the last week. But it turns out
1: there's so much, there's way
3: too much to talk about both.
1: There's just so much. <laughs> yeah, and so. these places are just so full of history. Yeah. I thought for sure Naxos, which was the Island in the Cyclades that we first stayed at. Mm-hmm. I was like there can't be that much there we'll have a segment maybe to talk about this maybe two and yeah it turns out there's just so much more to say there
3: is a lot (laughs) yeah all right so let's get start started talking about naxos we you can fly to naxos but you can take a ferry to naxos and a lot of people take ferries to naxos and they've got these it's a whole other thing we could talk about if you want (laughs) to chat us up on our roadster adventures instagram
1: yeah (laughs) uh, you know
3: we can talk about how cool it was to watch the sea jets which are these gigantic catamarans, Yeah. And they just, they just come in, they flip their butts around in like five seconds. They back up, dump all the people out, hit the brakes.
1: It literally feels like they're dumping them. Like I saw guys standing out there like, like, Whistling and like moving their arms like faster, faster, <laughs> yeah. faster, get off yeah. of here. The
3: boat's barely tied down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It really is and, quite a sight. And but right. they they know what they're doing and they do yeah. it every day all day long. So I mean it
3: takes like 10-15 minutes tops, maybe even less. Yeah. And they've got people in cars off, people in cars on, and they're out and onto the next yeah. trip. And it's they do insane. 30 to 40 knots when and, they're traveling.
1: And those ferries connect all of these islands yeah. together. So we were on Naxos, which is the biggest of the islands in the Cyclades. Or Cycl- Cyclades, or it depends on who you are Cyclades. and how you pronounce it. Yeah, so we were on that island, which is the biggest one, which does see a fair amount of traffic because yeah. it is, you know, the one of the larger islands, and the city of Naxos Town or Tora, 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 Tora as they call it sometimes. Yeah, that is one of the bigger cities in the area. But I yeah. mean, it's going to Mykonos and Santorini and Paros and all these other the little Crete. islands in between. Yeah, and then Crete, which is not technically part no. of the Cyclades, but but, but it is further south, and and yeah. the ferries go down there too. So it's just like a highway of ferries and you can get to any of them. And it does make me think that like in ancient times, it was probably kind of the same thing. Now they, they couldn't get there in a couple hours like they do today. (laughs) It would have taken a little bit longer, Yeah. but those sailors back in the day, the ancient Greeks and the people that came before and after them who were sailors, they were people of the water, you know, they would know how to maneuver between these islands so well And that's probably why you find settlements for ancient people on all of these islands going back a really long time. So, yeah. Well, one
3: of the first things you see, aside from the town itself, when you're coming in by ferry, now, much as it was for the last few thousand years of this being a a bustling area, Mm -hmm. is the Portara. Yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about first.
1: Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. When I decided to book us this Airbnb, because I was looking at all the islands trying to decide. We knew we wanted to spend a week and we we were just picking one basically to to spend that week. Yeah. And I definitely like heavily weighed the Portara as one of my (laughs) reasons for booking the Airbnb that I did because we had a view of it from our balcony, which was just so cool. I kept looking out the window and pointing at it and going, look, archaeology like from my bedroom you know like you never yeah. get that not in the states anyway so
3: i know yeah. i wish it hadn't been so windy that whole yeah, week we was, were there it was we was did, very windy because we had a rooftop balcony there too but it was so it was so windy it was it's uncomfortably so windy, windy, windy to sit up there and just kind of like watch
1: beating sun i yeah. have to say greece has been amazing but they don't do shade very well no. <laughs> like on their rooftops yeah it's kind of like just in, yeah. endure the sun if you want to be up here right. is what it is So all
3: right so what's the portara yeah so basically it's a massive doorway That's the only thing that remains. Uh And it was a unfinished temple to Apollo.
1: Yeah. And it's built on what's called a little islet, the islet of Palatia. And during ancient times, it was connected to the Northern side of the Nexus port by a narrow strip of land. But today, they've kind of turned it into this man-made causeway that you can walk across. It's yeah. all made of stone and everything. It's a neat little walk to go with water on either side of you. Watch out. The waves will come up and splash you, especially yeah. when it's windy. But then it takes you out to this really imposing, huge doorway. Doorway to nowhere, as it turns mm-hmm. out, <laughs> on this little little hilltop on this is- islet.
3: Yeah, and on the kind of the west side of this causeway where the ferry and port is, if you you look down it's it's all built up so where you can you can kind of take these steps down to this lower part right by the water there and you see these old locals they they go out there and swim probably every day
2: uh, yeah. in that little
3: protected you area because the wind is yeah,
2: yeah. cuz
3: the wind is often probably coming from the other side so it's a little tiny protected area there and you mm-hmm. see sailboats anchoring out there too but it's really cool i can imagine people have been like locals have been probably swimming in that part of the area for you know, 4,000 years,
1: probably because it was a strip of land. Like we said before yeah. it was this man-made causeway. So it's always been yeah. somewhat protected. Been right kind there. of a natural port. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So there's some cool myths around this, this particular islet is supposedly it is exactly where Ariadne, which was the Minoan princess, who was this, the daughter of King Midas, King Minos.
3: King Minos, Yeah. Yeah.
1: And he we will talk
3: about the next episode. We
1: will. Because that's all Crete stuff. Yeah. But she was abandoned by her lover Theseus after he killed the Minotaur on the island of Crete on this little islet of Mm Palacia. And so that might be in part why they sort of just that little little islet had such importance to this community and why they were starting to build a temple there. So in the sixth century BCE, Naxos was at its peak. Right. Yeah. And it was ruled by the tyrant Lig- Ligdamus. Lygdamus, the
3: Lygdamus? yeah, something like that.
1: Lygdamus. L-Y-G-D-A-M-I-S. And basically he wanted the biggest and most impressive <laughs> building visible as you come into the port of Naxos. He Which wanted, is
3: weird because rulers don't usually want stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, no, super
1: surprising. Yeah,
3: yeah, they're pretty chill.
1: <laughs> so he decided to order the construction of this gigantic temple, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's why the doorway that is still there now is so freaking huge because it was going to be an absolutely giant temple. Yeah. But before it could be completed, Naxos went to war with the Greek island of Samos, which Mm -hmm. is closer it's closer to Turkey, part of that island chain over there, like where Rhodes is and stuff like that. So um, but they went to war and the construction was stopped because of the war. And they had only gotten to the huge doorway and some of the columns and Mm -hmm. the foundation and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, they just never picked it back up because Ligdamas was overthrown in 506 BCE. And that was the end of his gigantic, gigantic temple. It was going to be like at least 100 feet high with a huge peristyle made of columns, which that's the the columns that you think of when you think of a, a Greek temple. So, yeah.
3: As with a lot of things you'll probably hear about if you read about Greek history, mm-hmm. uh, in the Middle Ages, a Christian church was built on top of it. So, they just, like, you know, said, hey, this looks like a cool place. Yeah. They thought a temple would be neat there. Yeah. Let's build one ourselves. <laughs> right. So, a Christian church was built. And then, like a lot of other things in Greek history, it was torn down, probably by the Venetians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, because the Venetians were all over this place, we found out. All over. Yeah. Like, there's
1: evidence and we talked about this in the last episode too. Yeah, with all the, over
3: Croatia, yeah, Montenegro. Great,
1: all of it. The Venetians yeah. had their their little paws on everything in oh, this yeah. part of the world and yeah. they just were conquering all the seas and the Aegean was no, you know, no different.
3: Yeah, they dismantled the church basically to get to the marble underneath uh, with the temple and they used that to build the castle, which was right behind the place where we were staying and you could just walk up all those little small streets and you before you realize it, you were kind of just like in the castle. Yeah, like
1: you would <laughs> see this really big tall wall yeah. and you're like, gosh, that looks an awful lot like a castle wall. And then you walk yeah. up like a set of stairs or up a little winding street and all of a sudden it's just like castle walls on either side yeah. of you and you're inside of this Venetian fortress, basically.
3: It's yeah. so cool. The only reason the Portara is still there and then there's a bunch of other marble blocks if you go see this ever. Yeah. Uh, or you take a look at some of the... Uh, actually, we have some highlighted stories from Naxos in our Roadster Adventures thing. I mm-hmm. should probably put some of these in the ArcPodNet Instagram as well. Because yeah. that would be really cool now that we're talking about this. Yeah, but, yeah, for sure. Uh, either way, the Protara was too heavy to move. Yeah. Too big. So mm-hmm. they just basically left it there, which honestly kind of surprises me that they couldn't figure that out. But it was too heavy and too big to move. But they did use what they could move to help build the castle. So, Do
1: you think that even to a conquering group of people that the Venetians were coming in and taking over these islands, do you think that they could have kind of looked at it as a, as a landmark you know well, like maybe they were like explaining to their other sailor warrior buddies like oh yeah go past that island with the big doorway thing and you mm-hmm. know go down the west side or whatever like maybe they almost were like well it's a pretty good landmark like it's hard to move well, to let's leave it
3: I mean that's one that's one possibility yeah. um, the other thing is we tend to and this is one thing archaeologists and historians can't do and it's difficult not to do but you can't look at history through the lens of the present, right? So uh, one of the things that I've really been, I I mean, I really have always thought about, but it really makes it sink home when you come to a place like this where everything is thousands of years old and there's just so much history. And these people, you know, just build apartments and restaurants. We had dinner in a restaurant that's like in the highest part of the castle, right? And it's where these nuns used to be and this whole thing. And it's it's just all this stuff. They don't have this reverence towards... That kind of stuff like we do. Like I was reading about that sycamore, I think it was, that was cut down on Hadrian's wall. The one that was in the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves movie that this teenager cut down. Yeah. Well, they had to cut it even more to actually officially remove it. And now they've taken the pieces to pieces of the trunk to an undisclosed location while they try to figure out what to do with it to preserve it. And the stump is being protected and they took seeds from it. And they're hoping to maybe grow another one and maybe put it on its spot. And I'm like, why? It's, it's, a, tree. it's a tree. I mean, right? it sucks that this kid was stupid enough to cut it down, but my God, get over it, right? Yeah. Like it that's I just I don't know. That's a whole other conversation. But the point is, I don't know if people back four hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, a thousand years ago thought the same way about history and other people's history, especially mm-hmm. the same way that a lot of people do today, especially Americans. Yeah.
1: Well, we know that when the Christians were coming in, they certainly didn't think about it the same way. They were were very interested in just plopping churches down on top of all of these. Well, these temples and these buildings that already existed, basically. I know. Nobody
3: nobody really does this today. But I mean, the common way to overcome a people was to take their language, their religion and their education and make it something else. Yeah. And the only way to do that was to destroy the symbols of the past. And we did that to Native Americans by we I mean, United States. I saw something on a Native American Instagram channel that I follow through one of my socials and the guy wrote something. He was doing this Native dance and Mm -hmm. he in the caption, it was, you know, if you read about the history of Indian schools in U.S. and Canada, it's not the history of Native Americans. It's the history of the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with Native Americans because they stole everything from them by trying to. Take their language, take their culture, take everything from them. Yeah. Yeah. They tried to Borg them. Right. And that's what's been done through history. And that's why they tear down all these symbols and try to put up their own. Mm -hmm. So with that, we're going to tear down this segment and come back on segment two (laughs) and talk about the Temple of Demeter. Back in a minute.
4: Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Pulling up to Mickey
0: D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Welcome back to
3: episode 237 of the Archaeology Show, and we're continuing our Grecian extravaganza.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: And we we took a tour on one of the days that we were there, uh, a bus tour, because we didn't rent a car on Naxos.
1: No, it's and a small island, and everything yeah. we needed was right in the port town. So. Although
3: there's a lot of cool stuff to see. We probably could have rented there a There is. I yeah. know.
1: Now that we know how big the island is. Oh, my God. And you can easily rent a car from the airport in Athens, drive it onto the ferry, Yeah. drive it off the ferry, as long as you have a place to take it to with parking. The place yeah. we were at, we would not have been able to park Although, it. Although,
3: don't take that advice. I no? would actually say don't do that because it cost oh, us like... Expensive. It cost us like $250 for the ferry ride just to get there, right? Yeah. So, well,
1: that one was cheaper, but altogether, the yeah. all the ferries we did. Yeah. yeah. So,
3: But it wasn't cheap. And I mean, rented a, we rented a car for seven days on Crete and it cost $130. Yeah, that's right? true. So, or 130 euros, which was about 140 bucks. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. It's just, you know, rent the car when you get there. You, if you don't know how to drive stick, you might be SOL. <laughs> but, uh, you know, otherwise. I you know, did not.
1: And I had no desire to drive on yeah. the island of Crete. People in this country I mean, are crazy. I'm sorry. Listen. All you Europeans with your tiny little cars <laughs> in the way you drive, you're crazy. All of you. <laughs>
3: listen, just, just if you have to rent a stick and you've never driven one before, it's been a long time. Just remember giving it more gas will always save you from killing it. And if you can't find it, grind it. So
1: It's a rental after all. Okay? I know. If you're in the wrong gear, just
3: find another one. So, anyway.
1: I don't know. I think you did pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Also,
3: the little shift light that says shift up and shift down is 100% wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So listen to your engine. Anyway, yeah. so we took this tour and it was just a half day tour. You know, we were working. We didn't have time yeah. to do the full day because the full day only included like swimming at a beach i think it was
1: beach stops and yeah it was, and
3: it was too windy and
1: <laughs> i don't know if you guys have seen barbie however we've I don't been beach well. <laughs> we've been talking about how talking about beaching and how chris really does not beach well i don't beach well at all he, he just like he sits there with his <laughs> arms crossed and his eyes kind of squinty usually and it just this look of like why am i here like the the whole
3: time, Rachel asked me while we were on Crete what my like best beach situation would be, and I was like a desk in an office chair with my computer and Wi Fi,
1: and probably like a canopy so that you were fully I mean, shaded. Yeah,
3: and like a view of the sea. Like I don't need. So to you be want on a, a balcony?
1: You want a no, balcony? No, no, I'll be on the sand.
3: I'll put my toes in the sand, but you know I'm probably going to edit a podcast or do some yeah, work. You really so.
1: don't beach well at no. all.
3: So anyway, anyway, other people that didn't beach well were people that went to the Temple of Demeter. <laughs> so actually, they probably beached very well. They're
1: Well, maybe they were actually kind of far from the water because they were more of an inland. This temple is a little bit more inland on Naxos, not too far, but, but definitely not like views of the water or anything like that.
3: Yeah. So the Temple of Demeter, late archaic Greek temple, it was built around 530 BCE, but one little aside for this, because this was near the end of our tour. Yeah. It was built completely out of uh high quality Naxian marble.
1: Yeah, and I, I didn't really intend to talk about this so much, but then I started doing research on the Naxian marble and it's so interesting. Yeah. So we have to talk about it really quick. It's been used since ancient times. So there's right. our there's our archaeology connection. It's, yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. It it's uh in fact they showed we saw somewhere. Somebody, one of the the tour guides or somebody showed us a picture of a thing about Naxian and marble being sold at a shop in Paris.
1: Yeah. 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 It's so high quality. It's still exported today. Yeah. And the part of the reason why it's super high quality is because it's 90 up to 98% calcite and calcite. Which
3: is a good thing for marble. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I didn't know that. The
1: calcite (laughs) is a crystal that is usually transparent and it gives marble this appearance of depth. And in the Naxian marble in particular, those calcite crystals are particularly large. So you get even larger, like you get even more depth basically with these larger chunks of transparent crystals. Mm -hmm. It tends to have this blue gray shimmer and that makes it appear almost translucent when the light shines just right. I think our tour guide was saying that like the light would almost just like shine right through the roof tiles that were Mm -hmm. made out of this. So yeah.
3: Yeah. Some of the marble deposits are more gray in color and a little more solid uh, and can be striped and things like that. That just indicates impurities. impurities, We see obsidian and chert and stuff like that with impurities. You see the striping and things like that. I know everybody has this
1: image of like pure white marble in their heads or maybe like some, some perfect veining going through it, but, but it's not always like that. And and it could be, yeah. you know, more and more gray depending on the impurity level.
3: Yeah. The koros we're going to talk about later was made of this gray type of Naxian marble. Yep. Yeah. And we mentioned a koros if you're paying attention a few episodes ago, uh, randomly, Yeah. not knowing randomly. we were going to see one. Right. I had never even heard of the word koros before, but right. like four or five episodes ago, we had an article about a chorus. Yeah, so, we
1: did. Yeah.
3: Anyway, the Naxian mar- marble is still mined today and it's extremely valuable and it was used for creation of uh, roof tiles at, at Olympia and on the Athenian Acropolis. Yeah. So we'll see so some here.
1: Used it in the yeah. ancient times. They're well, still using it today. So,
3: And the temple of Demeter that we're going to talk about. So they, they had a little museum and they had some rebuildings and I think some recreations of mm-hmm. some stuff in the museum. But they said the roof tiles were these like... Rounded roof tiles like you would see on a roof in, like, like you a know, terracotta. New Mexico. Yeah, yeah, like
1: that terracotta right. curved tile yeah, shape. But yeah, but marble. But marble. Yeah,
3: and they said so that... So heavy. <laughs> they said that during the high sunshine of the day, it would have been practically translucent yeah. letting a lot of light through yeah. the stone roof. Yeah. I just it's can't imagine how cool that would look.
1: Insane, right? Yeah. I I wish that one of those roofs was still standing, because yeah. it would just be... I feel like with the light coming through like that, it would just be so, like, ethereal almost, mm-hmm. you know? What a... What a cool thing to experience! Yeah. Um, anyway, back to the actual temple. We'll stop <laughs> stop waxing on about this amazing marble. Right. But we did get to see the quarries from the tour too. Yeah. we were driving through the mountains on Naxos, and and you can see the quarries, and you could see the mine trucks up there too, still mining yeah. away this Big deposit. This deposit just keeps on giving. I guess there's just more oh. more marble to quarry okay
3: i'm definitely going to put stories up uh pictures up in the mm-hmm. stories or maybe just on the ArcPodNet
1: a-r-c-h-p-o-d-n-e-t
3: instagram page so yeah. go check it out because i took pictures of the spoils going down just yeah. the, the garbage marble that was yeah. discarded these <laughs> like car-sized like, boulders that are yeah, just down the hill of this
1: like white marble just <laughs> yeah. like pouring down the hill yeah i guess we are going to keep waxing poetic about
3: yeah. marble because we so, just keep talking
1: about it but it's really amazing stuff and it plays such a huge role in the ancient greek structures right and it still does today so it's a resource that has a lot of history and value
3: so, all right let's yeah. learn about the meter
1: okay let's <laughs> did you say the meter <laughs> oh my god <laughs> drink your wine
3: <laughs> my uh my wine that was apparently Grown in the same area where Socrates came up with some of his philosophies. Oh. according to the uh, sommelier I talked Isn't to. Isn't
1: the best thing about traveling learning about and Well, meeting the people. BS, the
3: sommelier will tell you. No,
1: no, <laughs> meeting people who are just so proud of their country yes. and they always have all these amazing oh, yeah. little stories to tell you, all these yeah. tidbits about various different things like that that it's just really fun to experience that you have to actually talk to people to learn that kind of stuff though so that's something that i need to remember (laughs) because i don't always (laughs) like talking to people but anyway (laughs) so the temple of demeter is one of the earliest ionic temples okay i'm going to put a big asterisk here because i did read on a different website that it was called a dork (laughs) (laughs) temple. So I'm not actually entirely sure. There's not a huge amount out in the world about this temple. Mm -hmm. And we didn't take we read all this stuff over there, but we weren't like taking pictures of the information. So I I just didn't have all that in my head. And so I'm not really sure if it was Ionic or Doric. But let's just go with Ionic because that's what Wikipedia says. And surely somebody would have corrected it if it were wrong on Wikipedia at this point. So uh, anyway. Sure. Yeah. yeah. We'll get I some, mean, uh, we can tell ourselves that, but I don't know. We'll so. get some
3: notes about that for yeah, sure. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't
1: know. I Like I said, I saw it both. So I'm not sure. But.
3: Send all your email to a life in ruins podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Right. So.
1: so here's things that we definitely know about this structure. There's a lot of unique things. The floor plan is almost square at 13.29 by 12.73 meters. And that is very unique because Greek temples from this time period are usually rectangular. Yeah. Like the Parthenon. Think yeah. of that rectangular shape in your mind. The facade is on the south side. And that is unusual because it's more common to have it on the east side. That's the most common mm-hmm. way that they face. But sometimes the west side too. Yeah. So south is where it really like off from most temples. Yeah. Apparently, there's no foundation platform, which is super weird for a Greek temple. And the columns decrease in thickness towards the top, whereas uh, the more classical Greek structure, the columns always increase towards the top. Right. So that is also very strange. And you can see it in the pictures where the columns just get a little bit skinnier as they go up towards the top of the uh, roof. Yeah. So anyway, there are a lot more unique features about this temple but it really gets into like the weeds on it. And we don't, I'm, we don't need to go into that anymore. Right. There's just, it's, I took a class on this stuff in college and like, oh my gosh, the historic architecture, classical archaeology people. Yeah. Those are not, that's not what they're called. I can't remember. But <laughs> anyway, definitely the the technical term. Yeah, They really, really get into the specifics of these, oh, I'm sure. of these temples. And it's yeah. just like, it's almost too much for your brain to even understand. You have all these words that are not normal words to use in everyday language. And then you're trying to like keep track of one column here and another platform there and measurements and, and all that. So well, anyway, yeah. there's a
3: reason for that. Everything's been studied. So if you don't, it has. if you don't study this one little Indentation you found on a yeah. temple somewhere on the top of a column, then you can't get a PhD. So
1: it, it is. Okay. Yeah, and on that, <laughs> yeah.
3: and on that horrible disappointment, let's t- <laughs> let's take a break. And on yeah. the other side, we'll talk about how the Christians ruined everything. Oh my God. Back in a minute.
4: <laughs> Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by thirty percent in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
0: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw
4: Terms apply.
3: All right, welcome back to episode 237 of the Christians Ruined Everything show. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's not true. Well, okay, so we're talking yeah. about the
1: Temple of Demeter, and <laughs> the Christians do come in and play a role here. But just really quickly, like what it was like to go and visit it. Right. It was it was really cool because it is up on a hill again, like these temples often are, and you could fully walk around the thing like 360 and. I don't know, it was really neat and had a great little museum with it as well. Any any thoughts about going to visit it?
3: It felt even though it was basically reconstructed, Mm -hmm. it was really well done. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and you could see actually some original foundations and things like that. There was not the entire thing was a reconstruction, but it really felt like you were you were at this old, you know, this old temple that people people revered. And I don't think we mentioned this, but Demetria was the goddess of agriculture. Oh, right. That's why this was where it was. This place yeah. was surrounded by olive trees yes. and just like agriculture all, all around. All the it. agriculture yeah. for the
1: island. This was in sort fact, of the hub of it.
3: Yeah. In fact, we could, I don't even think we could see the the Mediterranean from there. I don't think so. Yeah, There's we no just,
1: water view at all. We
3: were kind of in this huge valley, this these rolling kind of hills in amongst the mountains that are on Naxos. Mm-hmm. And I do mean mountains. I don't know what yes. you guys think of the Greek islands, but... I had no idea they were so volcanic and mountainous. Yeah. They were like, and tall mountains.
1: Oh, and we almost forgot to mention Mount Zass, Mount Zass, Zass was, is the mountain, the big mountain on this Island. And that is supposedly like the birthplace of Zeus or something well, like that.
3: Apparently there's a cave down at the base oh, of it okay. where Zeus was born. Yeah. Of course.
1: Before he went on to do his yeah. Zeus things.
3: I want yeah. to put a coffee shop there. <laughs> yes.
1: And could you so, go actually see this cave? I don't know. I
3: don't know. Nobody mentioned seeing it. Yeah, like the I tour guide didn't say anything. No, they didn't so, say anything. Yeah.
1: But yeah, this this island is really steeped in like the Greek mythology for sure. It's with, supposed
3: to be the birthplace of the gods. I mean well, really I mean, because Zeus, of Zeus. Because of Zeus, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So well Zeus he, wasn't like I mean, he was the the head god, but yeah. you know, he wasn't the founding god, so
1: it's so hard to like detangle the people from the mythology too, because obviously Zeus wasn't a real person. He wasn't really born there, but they didn't think that. Yeah. It almost doesn't matter because the people thought that, right. And it was important to them. And they had this temple that they built to the goddess Demeter. And it was because of agriculture and because they came together over agriculture yeah. in this area. And this temple really brought the people together into a community to this place that they were worshiping or sacrificing or whatever it is that they were doing at this temple for, you know, agriculture. So it's something that really mm-hmm. helped develop the community in this area at that yeah. time period. It's, it's interesting.
3: Well, back to the Christians ruining everything. Uh, <laughs> Your favorite so topic. The the reason this temple is mostly a reconstruction is Around the 6th century CE, it would have been completely dismantled Yeah, by the rise of Christianity, basically, because a massive Christian church was built on that property. And yeah. in fact, when you're walking around this, the little pathway that takes you around the temple, on the outside of that pathway are the old walls the of the Christian of church, the church. The ruins of it, yeah. yeah. They're really short. They look like little rock walls. In fact, I'm not yeah. even sure that that was part of it originally. It mm-hmm. doesn't look like it. It looks like that was put there.
1: There's a one little church that was part of it. When you first walk up that, that building that is still standing was like a sort of a typical, really old school, probably Byzantine type of basilica church thing, but very small, but very small, very, very small. It it did encompass the whole like hilltop at some point and included either they dismantled the temple fully or they, there's maybe parts of the temple that were included as part of the church, but it definitely was fully converted into a church at at some point. Yeah. The marble was
3: definitely repurposed for the, uh, for the Christian Basilica.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But of course they knew they being the people that lived there and then the archaeologists that came along after them knew that it was first a Greek temple and then this, this Christian Basilica. And I think it fell out of use completely at some point, but in the mid 1900s, there were several excavations that took place to basically uncover the original Greek temple because that's something that also happens. And it does make me a little uncomfortable sometimes that this Christian church that was built on top of it is 1500 years old, but we got to dig through that and get to the Greek temple below it. Because is that somehow more important? I don't know. Maybe we just know more about the Christian temple that Mm -hmm. was built on top of it. So it's more interesting to find out about the lesser known temple below it. I don't know, but that does seem to be what happened. Although the history of the church is documented pretty well in the little museum that's there too. But anyway, it was excavated and they realized during the excavation that there was some kind of like common curvature throughout the entire temple. I'm going to be totally honest. I don't understand exactly what that means. I think it refers to the, the curve shapes of the columns
0: Mm. and the
1: stones. And they were able to use that to basically really easily reconstruct. So they could take these materials that were part of the church or discarded outside the church or wherever they found them and they were able to pretty easily, using this common curvature, figure out what piece went where and reconstruct well, it.
3: It's like reconstructing a broken ceramic pot, right? Yeah, like you've got a you've got a roundish piece, and you know you can yeah. put it almost on a template and say, okay, well we know it probably went here. Yeah, it was something no. like
1: that, but the the temple version of that, yeah. basically. So in two thousand one, the partial reconstruction was completed, and then the associated museum was opened on the, yeah on the area. So yeah. Or on the spot it's really cool
3: right it was really cool being there and I know we took a, a couple of pictures of you know just the landscape too um, mm-hmm. looking outwards towards where the sea would be if there weren't hills there and it was just and right in the shadow of Mount zas and mm-hmm. uh, it was just really um I don't know it was a really cool place to be and just yeah just being on a place where I don't know it's different than I don't want to be little and I'm not I'm not trying to at all but it's a very different feeling. Than being on for some reason or another, I don't know why, but it's a very different feeling than being on a correspondingly old, like Native American site mm-hmm. in the United States, which we have been on hundreds.
1: Oh, yeah. Right? We always stop yeah. on those sites when we're passing through. Well, like, not only that, yeah. but
3: we've, we've, oh, well, like in the them. work that we've, we've done, we've found them. Yeah, for right? sure. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, I don't know why it it, for some reason, probably because, I mean, I'm going to be brutally honest, probably because we're white and it feels like, the civilization that that our ancestors directly came from mm-hmm. is really born out of these civilizations. Yeah, and I don't know. I feel like an almost closer affinity to it, and it's a very different thing. I mean, I have no Greek heritage, as far as I know, but when you talk no, about the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans, and how they settled, you know, that they far and wide, far right? and wide, yeah, yeah. And their influence went, yeah. went went farther than their territory, yeah. It's just—I uh, don't know. It's really—it's really interesting seeing this stuff mm-hmm. that is, you know, two, three, four thousand years and old.
1: Also, like these architectural styles that we're seeing, they influence so much architecture that came after them. You go to any of the old cities in North America, and yeah. you, the the buildings there, the older buildings, have these columns that are patterned after the things yeah. that the Greeks and Romans were yeah. doing. So you do kind of feel like you're looking at your ancestors almost a little bit when you are, when you're looking at, yeah, well, it's at least the, the ancestors of the structures that you see in your own country,
3: our architecture, our laws, a lot of culture and, and, uh, you know, basic structure of democracy is all from, is all from here.
1: Yeah. It does. It does feel very special to, to see it. So, yeah. All
3: right. Well, one of the other things we saw was a giant chorus. Yeah. So, uh, a Khoros is basically a naked man, uh, yep. a freestanding statue. Yep. Yeah. We, again, we talked about one that was found. In fact, I think a series of ones that was found a few episodes ago. It was just one of the news articles that we discussed. And there's actually a feminine name for Khoros as well. Cause there are naked giant female yeah, statues. there are. It's
1: Khori, yeah. I think. Or something yeah. Like that. Something like that. I can't yeah. remember what it was. It's very similar. Yeah. But those, those are modern names for these statues that have been created by researchers I think back in like the 1800s, they just started calling them that. So, right. yeah. But they're often said to be either depicting Apollo or they are in association with temples to Apollo. They kind of have this like Apollo thing going on. Well... It's not always the case though.
3: Not It's not even just Apollo because Apollo was kind of an idealized form yeah. of the male figure, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what these choruses often were is an idealized... You know, this is what a this is what a man looks yeah, like. You know, yeah. this muscular sort of naked man with his arms Young, at his side.
1: beardless. They, yeah. they never have have whiskers. Yeah, I hairless, think, so, hairless, yeah, basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah, but they they can be found in like a cemetery setting. Yeah. You know, and at a tomb or whatever. They can be at various different temples. Like there, yeah. there was lots of. They were used for a lot of things back in ancient times, basically. Yeah. But this colossal thing is the interesting piece here. Right, they're they're usually life size, so you know six feet ish. Mm-hmm. And, but you would see earlier examples that were, you know, in the like three meter or nine foot tall range, right. which puts it into this colossal territory. Yeah. And that's what these ones that are on the island of Naxos are. They are super huge. That guy that we saw. Yeah. He was like 12 meters or something. Right.
3: Oh no, like no, that? not 12 meters.
1: Not 12 meters. That would have been as long as our RV.
3: Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. It, it was must've been around probably, nine.
3: Probably four meters, three to four meters. I would say.
1: Okay, yeah. I thought it was a little bit bigger than that. But yeah. anyway, he was in the colossal territory. He was four
3: meters is pretty big. Much
1: bigger than a, a human I would, person. I would
3: call that colossal. Okay, that is colossal. Yeah, he was big. <laughs> and then the cool thing about this one was he was kind of in a recumbent position, just like lying backwards with a broken leg. Yeah. Because he was being basically carried down from the marble quarries where he was constructed yeah. and carved out. Like, I I, feel like that was a... I mean, I sure, just logistically you would want to carve them at the source because you just remove a whole ton yeah. of marble. Right. Yeah. And then carry and them then down. Carry but then they like broke it.
1: They did. Yeah. And like, it, it's what you said though. It's like a Coros blank basically. Yeah, like well, it was pretty well done. It was like it had the whole shape there, but there was none of the fine detail. There was no facial features, no hair, no fingers, none of that stuff that you see in the really nice ones that we yeah. still have like good examples of. There's none of that yet. It was just like this sort of phantom shape of a man.
3: Yeah. Like they took away enough marble to carry it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. They took and then they were going to let it go get personalized somewhere else, probably for wherever it was going. But then they either dropped it or maybe there was a um, impurity Impurity. in the marble that caused the legs to fail or something like that.
3: And they're just like, but they
1: literally just like abandoned it where it fell. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite part of it. It was like a mic drop, like well, this guy's done. Nobody's going (laughs) to want him with his broken legs. So we're just going to abandon, abandon him here and walk away. So that I just, that's one of my favorite things to find. Cause yeah. Okay. You see these perfect statues in front of the perfect temple or in the museum setting and they're always perfect. And, I love yeah. the real story like like who who got fired <laughs> for dropping the colossal koros that was fired. on its way to some yeah. really important temple somewhere or something like who that. They lost their head. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. yeah, that's just that's my favorite thing to think about with right. that. And that they just like Mike dropped it and walked away. They they literally didn't care enough about The land to go through the effort of moving it. It was not important enough. There was no people there. So they just like dropped it and walked away.
3: The thing I like is that you can just kind of find this stuff. Yeah. Right? Like somebody just like found that eventually. Yeah. Nobody cared about it at the time. But then a number of centuries later, somebody was just like, oh crap, look at this. (laughs) They like walking
1: through the forest and then there's like a face there. Yeah. Or like even worse, there's like. Genitalia, and they're like, What is this? What
3: is going on here? We did
1: mention they were naked, right? I didn't just mention that out of nowhere, yes, but yeah, they had very
3: Ken like mounds. I'm (laughs) not really sure what was going on there. No detail yet, no detail, yeah, yeah. They didn't (laughs) beach well,
1: no, oh god, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, that, but that was really cool, and and I just love that little personal piece of human history right there. People in ancient times broke stuff too, that's right, happened.
3: And one of the things we didn't write about here, but as we're just wrapping up, because it was on that tour that we did, one of the last things we saw was an old olive press. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it was a company that is still producing olives, but they don't use the old press methods anymore. Mm-hmm. But they had all the equipment in this room. It, it was in a room where it used to exist, right? Mm-hmm. Like they did it in this place. Yeah. But now it's kind of set up as, a, as an homage to this whole thing. But the to just see the press where they, they first crushed the olives... And, and then, you know, get all the oil and then they have this whole thing where they, so they crush it, they scrape it, mm-hmm. where they get that, that whole stuff get apart. Like a paste, basically. It's the paste, yeah. And yeah. then they put that in this thing that these, these men basically just move this arm across uh, with this big stick in it and they keep ratcheting this thing down like on yep. a screw just press, to just press, press, press the crap out of yeah. these things. And then all the oil goes into this container or into this compartment and then they put water in it.
1: Yeah, like there's water is somehow helping it press more or something. No, they put the water
3: into where the olive oil went because they can't really get the olive oil out by itself.
1: Oh, right. right. So So the water separation. Once they do it in there,
3: water and olive oil obviously separate really quickly Yeah, and the the olive oil will literally just sit as a layer on top of the water and they actually had a jar that the lady had that she showed us that it was separated. Yep. And then they're able to drain the water out And then just pull the water, pull the olive oil right off the top. Yeah. And uh, it was really cool. And she's like, she's like, yeah, we don't do this kind of stuff anymore. And but she just like they'd only stopped doing that in like the 60s. Yeah. (laughs) The 1960s. Right. Yeah. Now it's all automated. Yeah.
1: Which is just crazy that they were doing it that way. She said the electricity didn't even come to the island. Yeah. Until like the 60s. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: One other cool fact about uh, extra virgin olive oil is extra virgin olive oil has to be the cold press method, which is using, because they use hot water to basically kind of help extract the oils from the uh, for the pressed olives, mm-hmm. but it has to be 160 degrees. Less than, more than that, and then it's not extra virgin.
1: Oh, okay. That's cold.
3: So, well, it's not cold pressed. It's sorry. not cold pressed. Yeah, extra virgin. Cold pressed, is,
1: you get more flavor, I right. would guess, which is why it's extra virgin.
3: <laughs> so that's cold pressed, and then yeah. extra virgin is. It has to be harvested within 24 hours. Uh, mm-hmm. It has to be pressed within 24 hours of harvesting. Mm. Yeah, and she said she was basically indicating, without saying it, that they kind of hit the 24 hour mark like a lot of times. I'm guessing they play fast and loose yeah. with that 24 hours. Right. <laughs> but in order to be deemed extra virgin, it's got to yeah. be cold pressed and done within 24 hours. Yeah. It actually doesn't have anything to do with the olives. I mean, they use a certain type of olive. I'm sure. Yeah. But it's the method it's that the, makes yeah, it extra depressing. virgin. Yeah.
1: And to know, again, bringing it back to the ancient peoples, they've been doing this for oh, yeah. thousands of years, yeah, right? Long time. Yeah. Because so. we still find evidence of jugs and amphorae with the olive oil in it. So it's, it's just, it's part of the culture here. And I, I love that. That was, it was such a great experience in Naxos to like, mm-hmm. just like feel connected to right. both the ancient people of the island, but also like the way it's been brought forward into modern times right. too. It was a really cool place to experience for sure.
0: And right. different
1: and not off the beaten tourist <laughs> track, which yeah. was kind of what we were going for. Also, it's like way cheaper, way cheaper than yeah. Santorini or Mykonos or oh, any yeah. those other ones. So like yeah. that definitely factored into our choice in going here. Yeah. you get the same whitewashed buildings the adorable little like alleyway streets with restaurants and all their tables right. are on you know stairs and stuff like that which was a goal of mine to eat at one of those restaurants <laughs> where the table was on the stairs outside the restaurant it was so charming I loved it so yep. yeah you get all that in Nexos and we really can't recommend it more it was a great place
3: yeah it was cool yep all right well next time we're going to talk about Crete and the palace at Nosos that we toured and yes. the birthplace Of the Minoan civilization. See you next week. All right. Later, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.arcpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, Thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. And was edited by Chris Webster.
0: This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network.